You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. The Trek Files, Season 8, Episode 5, Fan Letters to Gene Roddenberry, 1971 to 1975. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, hello there, all you Star Trek fans. Hey, all you Star Trek history fans are, yes, our tech heads, (laughs) our canonistas, and I always say that in a loving way. You know, all of you Trekophiles out there spelled with an F. Hey, this week, why don't we dive into the mailbag? Uh, no, I don't mean our mailbag at the Trek Files, I mean Gene's mailbag. Yeah, I love these letters, especially from the 70s. We do this, oh, every season or so, and uh, we've got some good ones for you. So you know the pattern. All of these letters that we're going to be talking about this week are right there on our page at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. You can see all of them in their glory right there, in their original photocopied style. Uh, We'll have a little audio sample here to start off, but... Hang around, and I'll be right back with this week's guest. Dear Mr. Roddenberry, After spending countless hours with a gnawing at my subconscious, I've decided to give life to my half-formed feelings of regret and mourning. I have mourned the death of your very precious Star Trek, as I would mourn the death of any loved one. So, late though I may be, I wish to express to you the very real regret that I feel at its passing. Oh, well, at the time of this letter, uh, we're in 1971, if you're following along on our Facebook uh, letters, um, who knew the future that Star Trek would have at this dark time in its history? And it wouldn't be the first time either. In fact, we've got a great smattering of letters here today from 1971 and 1975. And I think it's time I called in my Star Trek correspondence mail file expert. You know. (laughs) You know him as the the host of Mission Log and Mission Log Live all across the network and and my producer here, John Champion. Here's another batch of fun, fun uh, mailbag letters here. They're always fun. They're always enlightening. And they they always are just such a a slice of the time, but also a a, a glimpse into the psychology of the people who are writing them. That's what's so cool. And sometimes taking a cue from even the dates. Mm -hmm. We can we can go back and resurrect the timeline of what's going on in the in the zeitgeist for fandom in in that pre-internet you know, yeah. pre, pre-digital world, which we think is moving slower. But as some of these reveal, people are right on top of it. You know, I think that's what's so, <laughs> they, they are on top of it. And that's what's so important about uh, the fact that Gene kept all of these is that, you know, now everything is done via email or Twitter or Facebook. Mm-hmm. And they, even though there's more of it and it doesn't go anywhere, it's much harder to sift through. Here, when people had to sit down and put pen to paper, those papers got saved. And here they've gotten saved again by being scanned and being part of our digital archive as well. So they're they're preserved for the ages. And uh, we, we've picked out a, a batch, as you said, from 71 to 75 and some very funny and light and some very serious and, and earnest. And earnest. And I'm just thinking we've got so many documentaries that we've we've been enjoying, so many more coming down the road. But 
Uh, if Ken Burns ever jumped in to do a Star Trek, he's got plenty of letters that he can lovingly pass over still. We haven't, we haven't lost it to the digital age yet with Star Trek. So let's, let's dive in and lovingly pass over some of these. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to start this, out with one from uh, a young fan. Uh, this presumably from the 1975 batch. This is from Beth, who writes to Paramount Studios. And just generally, <laughs> but this made its way to Gene's office. And, and I love that she is a fan. And she is aware of the fact that Star Trek has been in the zeitgeist, you know, to come back as a movie or a TV show or something. And I, I love this. Now, fellas, get on your knees. Now, fellas, this is the best way to, you know, get on your knees and beg Shatner and Nimoy to come back. Give them anything. You'll make it back. Uh, so I love that. And then asking if Nichelle would be back and if Major mm -hmm. would be back and then saying, can he get in Roddy McDowell? Because I love Roddy McDowell. Um, and, and you know, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, and, come on. And on and on. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I also, because Star Trek had been discussed as coming back as a movie or a TV show or a TV show or a movie, please get it on TV. We have a yucky theater in town. So... Please. Because, uh, you know, yeah. whatever is going on in Goshen, Indiana, yeah. is, is what should drive... Which what should drive the business model? Right. But you know, it's it's awesome, awesome. So Beth is yeah, Beth's lovely. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love that, and and clearly has been paying attention enough. You know, they, this is one of the rare ones where the letter is written to Paramount Studios and dear sirs, it's not one of those just like written to Star Trek or to Gene, or to Mr. Star Trek. You know, we, <laughs> right, we, we right, see some right. of those. So she's trying to get this in front of some studio executives, but clearly somebody in the mailroom got it and said, oh, no, 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 this belongs to the Star Trek uh, office. Right. And well, she's obviously it thinking it's, at that time, it's definitely someone in the mail room, because I love the way her now fellas is out there. Yeah. But she also, yeah. she also, the way people did in the early days in Younger Kids, she's measuring her fandom by how many books she's got. So Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Power tour. I That's about that. the only way you could. I right, get that. Right. Now let's move on to a couple back-to-back yeah. -back that are a bit more serious, a bit more mm -hmm. earnest and very personal, and actually both got replies from Gene's mm -hmm. office. Um, it looks like Dorothy wrote back to the first one for Gene, and I think Susan wrote back to the second one for Gene. Right. So we have the 71 office and then the 75 office represented. Uh, but the first one from a fan in Canada, and that was the reading uh, this week, was uh, about mourning the loss of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is 71, so mm -hmm. it's been canceled for two years. The second... The, the, the save it for a fourth season campaign didn't work. Right. And, and we're talking about how Gene's in that funny place of moving on to something else because you can't be yesterday's success in Hollywood. Yeah. He's got to be fresh and new. But at the same time, there's something laggingly different about Star Trek that won't go away like any other, you know, quote unquote, dead show. Yeah. And he's he's balancing that. And I think he actually does her the favor of actually replying. It looks like Dorothy just did the typing, but he signs. Yeah. 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 The reply letter to Lynn James. Yeah. And, and it's and he gives it. He labels her letter as talking about a generation gap. She's it's amazing that we think about the kids. Right. <laughs> students, right. High school students, college students writing it. But lots of adults. Yeah. Were fam engineers, professionals, scientists, and just, I don't want to say just, ooh, ooh, mm -hmm. but housewives and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, she, whatever role, that's what she's saying. Yeah. But she's admitting that she's one of those rare people and woman who's talking about growing up, I guess, in the 50s and 60s 
on sci-fi. Yeah. And so in her own way, she's, out, she's not out picketing NBC, but she's uh, letting Gene know what she's thinking in, in the life. And maybe someday there'll be a generation that gets sci-fi all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Th- th- there's a lot to be revealed in this, and it, it is very thoughtful. And um, we we have to assume that uh, Mrs. James here was born around 1949, 50, 51. Right. Uh, and, and she says that, you know, yes, she is this rare child who would pick up her mother's science fiction books. Uh, of course, science fiction wasn't a new genre uh, by any stretch, but, right. but it was uh, a rarity for a young woman to be that invested in it as she was and then very excited about Star Trek being on the air and clearly an avid fan from the beginning. Uh, but yeah, there, there's this this sadness, this worry that I, you know, I won't live to see more of that vision or that vision become a reality. I, I get it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I certainly get it now. Uh, but but Lynn, Mrs. James, uh, and hopefully you're still around uh, realizing that science fiction is very robust and thriving. Um, and, and Gene, of course, you know, a couple of years later would answer your and other fans' calls because, well, there was an animated series, give it a few more years, and there was a movie series, and then even more TV series, more than you could possibly shake a stick at. So, yeah. And mm-hmm. but what the other thing that's it's almost mournful here mm-hmm. is that she says she says she's 16 and 66. And, and you know, the country, there's a big there was a big, I don't know if you've heard this, John, but there was a big <laughs> change in America between 66, the debut of Star Trek and 71 when she's writing here. You know, yeah. Vietnam was dragging on. Yeah. And we had all the the uh, the green movement. Earth Day was a was a thing suddenly. Yep. And people were concerned about that. And and. It looks like she's even bridging the gap between her excited 16-year-old self already. I think she has an, she's an old soul, we would say. Yeah, she's only yeah. apparently just uh, maybe 21 here, and she's married already, and she's looking at the world through adult eyes. Yeah. But also, I think, she's, I think she's looking through it through lonely eyes. Like, maybe she's isolated because she's not enjoying, forget fan clubs. I mean, she's years ahead of the internet and what that would bring her. And so yeah. she's... Yeah. She's sitting there in Toronto, not a small city, but she's I think she's feeling the loneliness that she's going to endure the loss of her Star Trek alone. And, you know, hopefully I would hope of over as the years went by that she found others, much yeah. less a whole globe of the of the interwebs. Sure. You know, to, sure. to partner up with. Yeah. So hopefully Lynn's gosh, Lynn, if you're out there, Mrs. Don James, if you're yeah. out there listening, uh, maybe we'll run into you sometime. Yeah, we'll yeah. catch up. Um, yeah. And then uh, in a similar vein, a little bit different, mm-hmm. but similar, we have another adult who wrote to Gene this time in 1975, April, who is in Auburn, Massachusetts. And um, wow, really writes this uh, <laughs> thick <laughs> dissertation on her love of Star Trek. And, mm-hmm. and I let, there's one thing that I do want to point out. Uh, she mentions early on about, uh, she's apprehensive about the state of Star Trek, but is clearly paying attention to any mention that Star Trek gets in the news or on TV. And she talks about how the coverage of Star Trek conventions on particularly TV news, I think, is mandatory and is treated with the same amused tolerance as a reunion of Edsel owners. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then that kicks off the essay, has Star Trek become an Edsel, um, right. which is really entertaining. Trying to separate. In 1975. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, 71. Sorry, 75, this one. Yeah, 75. Yeah. And uh, really looking at sort of her own fandom and the perception, maybe this sort of like news media perception of fandom, but then also the importance of what Star Trek really is. And then really goes through this great list of here are all the great minds who were working on mm-hmm. Star Trek and and specifically mentions Dorothy Fontana and Norman Spinrad, Ted Sturgeon, Harlan Ellison. It just keeps going and going. And then she says, if you can't, if you, if they don't work out for you, how about Arthur C. Clarke, Frank Herbert, you know, Ursula Gawain, Larry Niven, Paul Anderson, yeah. Ted Surgeon again, yeah. Roger Zelazny. Yeah. Uh, if we look at this and the great thing, since she's a formal letter writer, yes. she's dated her letter. Yes. We can see that August 28th, we know that in the great Star Trek timeline, Jean has just what we now call written the God thing. Mm. And had it rejected just this month. So I'm thinking mm. she's reacting to the news reports that, well, kiddos, the Star Trek movie is on hold. Right. And it may not happen after all. And she's writing out of fear of that. And, of course, within a few months, they would resubmit it. And then came along uh, Jerry Eisenberg producing uh, Planet of the Titans with the two British writers. And then that would fall by the wayside. Yeah. And then we then we're into Fifth Network, and then we're into motion picture, finally. But she's she's riding in the middle of the first of those hurdles that was just on again, off again, driving Star Trek fans crazy in the 70s, even as they hung in with their passion. And boy, she's hanging in with her passion. Oh, yeah, it is very passionate. Um, yeah, uh, because she, she does talk about how, uh, obviously, how touched she is by Star Trek. And then that last paragraph in all caps with an exclamation point, we are not victims. Oops. And then there's this very sort of floral thing about the spirit of the enterprise and endurance and and it's and it's clearly very well thought out and she is spilling her poetic soul on this page here to Jean. she is she is so poetic as i read her letter Mm -hmm. her her if in fact if in fact the glory cannot be recaptured i'm going into nfl (laughs) films voice yeah it's perfect and then her last paragraph her we are not victims is sounding like a kirk speech it is she is so wrapped up yeah yeah very much so and then you've got uh plato's stepchildren spock uh verse here at the end at the end (laughs) like maiden wine yeah it's amazing. It's amazing. So, and, and that one, of course, also got a reply from uh, from Gene's mm-hmm. office. That one from Susan Sackett. That's from Susan. Um, now, let, let's close out today with some fun ones because, I, I, again, there, there's just so many fun letters from kids. Kids, it, these are all from Love the these. Yeah, 1975 uh, batch. The next one is my favorite because of the very like, <laughs> late 60s, early 70s letterhead with the ladybugs and leaf motif mm-hmm. around it. It's very entertaining. <laughs> Entertaining. Um, and this one, th- this kid is pitching Star Trek. This is Jeanette, Jeanette Kennedy mm-hmm. pitching her Star Trek story to Gene. <laughs> and it's very clear. <laughs> for, first of all, there is a logical loophole. Not the first and not the last. No, 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 yes. no, no. And there is a one logical loophole that uh, she has not worked out incredibly well, which is that there is a virus that affects the person who gets it uh, to then try to kill the next person they see. And then she kind of goes through the list. It's like, okay, then Scotty, then Uhura, then Sulu, then Kirk, then Spock. Finally landing us with Chekhov in command. Okay. Now, Jeanette has a good sense to isolate McCoy, and he's working on the cure, even though he has been infected. 
Mm-hmm. I hope Jeanette hasn't killed off the the main cast here, you know, because I get it that Jeanette loves <laughs> Chekhov, but there are going to be a lot of upset fans that they go to this movie or watch this episode and realize, oh, well, she just killed off six of the main she's, cast members. She's know? not. She doesn't just love Chekhov. She's crazy about. She's Chekhov. crazy about him. She she's puts, crazy yeah, about him. Him well, like, oh come on, John, it could just be an alternate universe. That's good. That's a, why not? Why not start in seventy five? No, I yeah. I love the fact that she she does her pitch and finally she says, "Well, I'm crazy about Chekhov." This yeah, yeah, <laughs> clearly, clearly. Um, and, and then there's a there's yeah. a B plot where there's a danger threatening the ship and Chekhov has to handle it. Uh, but whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then the the PPS there is the postscript to get mm-hmm. a reply, hopefully, and then the the post postscript. Maybe you can help with an argument or help stop an argument. I would love to know who she's been arguing with. Can a half Vulcan, half Klingon join Starfleet? Well, how how prescient? Because mm-hmm. you you fast forward many years and you've you've got a Klingon on Starfleet, and then you got a half Klingon, half uh, half, half human, human who mm-hmm. almost in Starfleet left, but then part of a Starfleet crew. Um, yeah, and why why not? Why not? We get into all that. Yeah, you're t- taking diversity to a whole new level. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. But then I wanted to save this for last. Okay. Good yeah. old Gregory Dobbs here from oh. Charleston. And I, you know what? I love how the letters, we had Sarasota, Florida. We yeah. had Indiana. We've got, you know, letters from all over. Toronto, Toronto Canada. Yeah, yeah. But here we are in, in New England. Good old Gregory Dobbs. Yeah. <laughs> and Gregory, Gregory is a fan. He's 12 and a half. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and he knows what the word belies means. He so does. He's very erudite. He yes. does. Yeah. And mm-hmm. look, and, and this is somewhat transactional. We've seen a lot that are like this before. It was, you know, he's writing to Lincoln Enterprises essentially to get the catalog and he wants to get film mm-hmm. clips. And he saw, as did I, saw the address in that book, The World of Star Trek, and uh, is sending off this letter to to get a copy of the catalog. Mm -hmm. But what I love, and everybody else will love this too, is you get to the end and there's this, you know, pencil (laughs) drawing of the Enterprise drawn very much the way I would have drawn it at about five years old too. He commits it to the letter, draws it, but then P.S., I've made better pictures of the Enterprise than this. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. This had to be a one-take wonder. Yeah. So just so you know, yeah. Gregory, I know that it's been, you know, nearly 50 years, but I hope that in that time you've realized you could you could draw the image first. You you could perfect that and then just come back and attach the letter to it or or write around it. That would be one or, way to go. Or even a second page. Yeah, even just do it as a second page. That would be fine too. Look, but. look, Gregory is an impulsive guy because right there in his letter yeah. he says Two minutes before writing this letter, <laughs> yeah, I saw the address in the world of Star Trek, and uh, you know, can you imagine is, like uh, Gregory David being book. Yeah. struck with the lightning bolt of inspiration to mm-hmm. do this? He had to get it out. I love it. Yeah, and then the lightning bolt to sign off with his own sketch. But you know, again, yeah. it's we. I take it this for granted. You take this for granted. Mm. But to all of our younger listeners. This is the way things worked. You were you you were thrilled to get the paperback, and then some David or Stephen Whitfield or you name it puts in the well committee address, or they put in you know Gene's address or whatever to, right. for Lincoln Enterprises, right. and that and then you would write for the catalog, yeah, and yeah, you know, and they you would enclose your your SACI, your self addressed stamped envelope, and that was the currency of fandom, and and that's how things spread. And considering 
the, no, it wasn't digital. We weren't texting and emailing. But mm. the fact that people are turning things around in a matter of days, that right there shows you that Star Trek was, was you know, pushing the envelope, <laughs> literally, um, in a day when, you know, things were moving quickly for the times, yeah. even. Yeah. And things were propagating in light. You know, this, the gossip mill and the rumor mill would just explode and... And, and and the commerce he's yeah. trying to get he's trying to get his family yeah. as old as they are they they will never get old to me <laughs> but, oh no 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 I would love for some of these folks to pop up sometime if we ever can hear from oh, them. oh that would be amazing anybody who knows yep. of any of these people uh yeah I, I would love nothing more than to hear from them you know what they may have no clue about their le- remembering their letter or even know that it exists much less that it's you know in the in the Roddenberry archives but yeah. uh, wow they're, again, they're sitting here just waiting for Ken Burns to come and pour a camera pan across. You know, yeah. John, I always love looking in not our mailbag, but the old mailbag. I love our mailbag, too, sure, online. Sure, But uh, I can think of no one better I love spending time looking at these old letters with. So thanks oh, again. Thank for... you. Real pleasure. Everyone, The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. And all of these documents and your chance to comment are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at LarryNimichek.com. That's where you can also link in for all the new Trek Files swag and shirts at our Tee Public shop, too. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com.